so how's this new boy you're going out with? He's cute, very funny, but it's a little weird. He's always in the corner back by the wood pile. Yee. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. This is another episode of Trying to Herd Cats, the philosophical podcast where we throw anonymous quotes at anonymous people and see what rises to the top. And I will reveal the source of the quotes at the end of the podcast. First quote, fear of losing power corrupts those who wield it, and fear of the scourge of power corrupts those who are subject to it. Well, one of the reasons nations fail is that it's about people losing power. They don't want you know, people come out with better ideas on how to do something. A lot of this stuff had to do with royalty. You know, people would come to them and, and somehow get an audience with them on inventions that they had made. Before the Industrial Revolution, you know, they came up with some kind of knitting loom or something like that. Yeah. That would, you know, increase production of a certain product. And they didn't want that because they felt, well, that's going to put a lot of people out of work. And we don't. We don't want that. You know, it's something called creative destruction. So in the end, that nation failed because they had so much of that holding up innovation? Yeah, I mean, there's if there's no innovation, I mean, things stay the status quo, and your neighbor, your the, the countries that are around you are mm-hmm. innovating. Mm-hmm. You know, like England, you know, experienced the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. and their uh, economy just took off. And all the countries around them stay stagnant just because of this mindset that, you know, we don't want to lose power because, you know, if we get a lot of people out of work, you know, you invent this loom and people are out of work, well, they're going to become angry because right now they're, you know, they're, they're happy, they're content. You know, they got a job, you know, it's, right. they're not making the most, but, you know, it's enough, I guess, for them to, to get by. Again, fear of losing power corrupts those who wield it, and fear of the scourge of power corrupts those who are subject to it. I think a lot of people fear being ruled over, and people that rule, I think, have the fear of losing that power. Mm -hmm. I think you see that a lot today with what we call the political class. They're both on the left and the right. They've been in Washington for career career politics, you know, 30, 40 years in some stands. Right. I think we all want to be free, right? But right now we're not free to choose the type of light bulb we want to run in our house or the flow of our toilet, right? Why would a politician get some? What, what's the benefit to him or her to choose what light bulb we, you know, use or what toilet paper we can wipe our butts with or so and so? I mean, what's the benefit for him? I know it's power. Yeah, I mean, they have the probably the powerful light bulb lobby and the toilet paper lobby and. Oh, I mean, like the there's, green, the green light bulb guys. Yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's money to be had for those people to yeah. push legislation a certain way. And have you ever had any power? Any power? Oh, I've held several positions on boards and committees, and been a president of a residence hall association. And I always get elevated to these positions on boards and uh-huh. committees, and I always end up regretting it. Why? It always goes wrong because there's always somebody that that wants to take your position or knock you down. Uh I was on a church board and just became totally frustrated with church after being on that church board and attending that church for about five years. Yeah. 
It just once you saw the interworkings and weavings of uh-huh. committees, and it was just it was disheartening. I'm I'm a better sergeant than I am a officer. Right. <laughs> That's a. I like to work behind the scenes and get it done for the good. Did, you know? Was there? I mean, we're going back to the politicians and why why they are so obsessed with having power. But did, was there ever a time when you had these power positions that you're like, man, this is this is this rules, man? No, I never thought it ruled. I hated every minute of okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, you don't want to be told what to do. Yeah, I don't think any of us want to be told what to do. I right. think you know we're willing to open and discuss and. We don't work Man, there's a lot of people here that are they they seem to be looking for the next leader to to save us or, or to to make everything better. But I mean, me and you know that ultimately that means they're going to tell us what to do. Yeah, that's the that's the price. But why do you think people don't get that get the connection? Get the connection of like if if you're going to hand over your autonomy to somebody else, like for them to make things better in the world or to save you or to you know, send you money or something. How come you think they don't get the point that, that we lose our freedom and we lose control of our own lives? I think people don't initially think they're giving anything up. It's just a, all right, well, we'll accept, we'll accept these fluorescent light bulbs in our house. We really don't like them, but, you know, that's all we can buy. It's not a, not a big deal, but, you know, we fought a revolutionary war over a lot less than what's going on currently right. today. Uh-huh. And it just happens a little bit year by year by year and generation by generation. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like the bull and frog analogy. Yeah, yeah. Put them in a the cold pan and turn the heat up. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think America's lost? Like we've gone too far down the wrong road? Or do you think we could make a turnaround? Oh, I think I think we can make a turnaround. I think we've started to do that to get back more to the center of things. Right. Um, you have a diehard position on the right and a diehard position on the left, and that's probably 10% of the population on either the spectrum. And the other 80% of us just kind of ride that balance beam in towards the middle there. Uh-huh. And we've tilted way far left in the last four or six years. Right. And now we only have, the Republicans have the House and the Senate, and the President has the, Liberals have the, have the presidency, but, uh-huh. you know, people talk about that balance of power, and now it's kind of, it shifted back more towards the middle. So cool. I don't think we need more legislation. I think we need less legislation. <laughs> we need yeah. rollbacks. It'd be my dream to just go through all the law books and just start re-voting on it. Like, do we really want to do this? You know, it, it also reminds me that I think it was one of Stalin's secret police that said, find me the man and I will find the crime. Yeah. Because they had so many laws that everybody was a lawbreaker at that point. Yeah. It was impossible to not to break the law. Yeah. Honestly. Well, you look at the tax code, I mean, we've probably all broken a law and not even known it. Yeah. Do, you, do we even know what the laws are? There's so many right. laws and rules and regulations. Yeah. Again, fear of losing power corrupts those who wield it, and fear of the scourge of power corrupts those who are subject to it. Yeah, I agree with that, and I feel like that's uh, that's what's happening in Iraq right now, in both in central government and and KRG government too. In Iraq and Kurdistan, because it's very small and everything is very obvious, you can see it. You can see the kids of the of the officials. They have brand new cars or like literally special order cars, and you see normal kids. They they can maybe sometimes afford a free school. They go to. Uh, 
private schools and these teachers from all over the world from states or europe they go there to teach them and the other kids the normal kids go to the public school which is they're not heating and cooling in the schools on the other end of that obviously people don't want to lose their powers or they don't want, they don't want to lose their stuff right on the other end of that is there still a fear of the people who don't have power i don't think so there's no fear right now they realize you need to fight for your rights if there's a, a, a leader is not good enough or corrupted, you need to, to let him know. What do you think is the solution to fixing that problem? People. It starts from people because that leader got elected from the people and people paying it for it. Because people need to, during elections to think with their brain, not emotionally. Uh, that's a problem here. Yeah. <laughs> it's a problem everywhere. It's a problem everywhere. Yes. <laughs> okay. Again, fear of losing power corrupts those who wield it, and fear of the scourge of power corrupts those who are subject to it. Small business, well, it affects your behavior and that you have to pay so many very punitive uh, taxes. Essentially, most small businesses, the government actually makes more money for it being there than the small business owner does. Uh, they don't make a lot of money. They have sometimes employees that make a lot of money, but trying to keep the thing open, they can't pay themselves as much. And when you look at the end of the year, how much went to the government in all ways, uh, just by being there, the government benefits enormously. Right. And the owner sometimes is, is not making the money. You have to pay the government before you eat. Well, you have to pay the government just by having the doors open. They don't care whether you make any money or not. Can you give examples of some of the ways they get it out of you? I mean, there's taxes, of course. Well, yeah. Well, you have a CPA, and they tell you that you this is the volume you've done for the year, the month, quarter, whatever it is. The money is just paid. It's not a question of whether you can do it or anything else. It's either you pay it or you close your doors. Mm -hmm. And you don't. there's no opportunity to change that. There's no. Uh, for some people, there may be an opportunity to to try to get around it or not pay it. With me, it cannot be that way. It has to be, it's, that's what it says, we have to pay it. You might like an example, I guess. Uh, the, the, the Heritage Plaza that I built uh, next door was an automotive repair shop. You know, I owned one also, but it was maybe a couple of miles away. But next to us there was uh, an automotive shop. The owner's son took over the business. And what it turned out, is he was taking as much cash as he could from people and only reporting what he could or had to and eventually they caught him mm -hmm. and in his business one day once he was caught once the IRS came down upon him big time uh, the bullet went through his head in the in the shop he killed us right next door yeah was he that hard up for money or was it just I know I don't think that was it I think somewhere along the line he just started looking at that as a way to, you know, maybe not not figuring out a way to make money with the business, except that maybe, uh, you know, hold, withhold it from the, the government. I can see how, I mean, having had my own business, it, it, you get so sick in your stomach when you see how much you're sending off to the government right. and how you can't, you don't know how you're going to eat sometimes. Well, how are you gonna pay your... and then truthfully, I mean, part of that money came to you because you are forced to be, once you have a business, you're forced to be a funnel for the government. Mm -hmm. And they're paying extra 6%, 8%, whatever it is, taxes uh, to you. 
just because you're there, and you're supposed to pass that on. That's fine. To the consumer. But, right. But there's other kind of taxes that go on, quarterly taxes and everything else, that's just very punitive. Very punitive. And it's tough. So you can see how someone would be tempted to be... I can see completely how they would. And justify it, even. It's not justified. I mean, so you can see how people could justify it in their they head. Could, they could justify it. That the difference has to be when you have a business of any kind where you have that responsibility of being the funnel for this money that ends up supposed to be the government. You have to ask yourself if you have integrity or not. Mm-hmm. And if you have integrity, then even if you don't have the money and you've got to take it out of your personal checking account or borrow money to do it before you can close the doors or whatever, then that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And not that you want to. Does it ever bother you that a lot of your money goes to pay for being nice, some stupid things, but also some horrible things? I mean, you know, you think about like government um, money that's set aside for, for people to have abortions or or to you know, keep people down in poverty, you know, that type of thing. Well, the latest thing I just heard recently really bothered me when you talk about that. Somewhere in Oregon or somewhere, uh, children as young as, I don't know, five to eight years old, I'm not sure, that are confused about their sexuality. The government is now going to pay and not inform the parents, pay for their a sex change operation. That young? That young. Good night. Uh, their identity to change to, you know, I don't know what all physically they would do with them, you know, to, to mm-hmm. form, uh, have that. And that was just on the news recently, very recently. And the parents, they're not, not obligated to inform the parents. The school people, the schools that are in, inform the health people, and they then hook up with them. And somehow it comes about, and they're using our tax dollars, it shouldn't be, because partly I'm funding that, right. and it's not my belief. Right. And that bothers me greatly. And that's just one tiny example. You know, there's so many ways they spend what is our money. The government actually has no money. It only comes from us. And there are people in this world that think that all money comes from the government. Well, it comes maybe whatever comes, comes there because it's taken by force. And they don't create wealth. They don't create no wealth. Yeah. Matter of fact, they, they inhibit wealth. Next quote, to view the opposition as dangerous is to misunderstand the basic concepts of democracy. To oppress the opposition is to assault the very foundation of democracy. I agree with the premise of that, the first part of it. I agree with the second part more than the first part, because if the opposition is threatening the democracy, or threatening your life, then I don't think you silence it. But you have to understand. You have to understand that the nature behind it, uh, or nature. You have to understand what they're after, what they're about. I don't think they should ever be silenced completely. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> I agree with that part of it. Can you uh, give an example, of maybe in our modern society, as an opposition that you might feel is dangerous in a political realm? The mm-hmm. com- like the the American Communist Party or whatever they're called, they have a voice, and their voice should be heard. But people should realize what it means. If they got what they wanted, this is what it would be and we would not have a democracy, and you could not say what you're saying now because of that. In other words, you can say that only because we're free. If we got what you wanted, you couldn't say at all what you wanted, or I couldn't say what I wanted. Yeah, that's the paradox of a free society of allowing people to exist that want to get rid of it. Right, yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, and, I mean, you know, all you do is look at other 
civilizations, and you'll, I mean, you'll see that uh, over and over again. Again, to view the opposition as dangerous is to misunderstand the basic concepts of democracy. To oppress the opposition is to assault the very foundation of democracy. Yeah, I think to oppress the opposite side is always dangerous. Um, of any side, right? Right, yeah. Doesn't matter what side I'm on. Well, okay, let me play devil's advocate with you. Say there's a big division in this country over what color the sky is. Some say it's blue, some say it's... Aquamarine. Aquamarine, yes. It comes down to it that your side somehow wins to the point that the other side is made illegal. And if we find out you, you think it's aquamarine, you know, you're arrested. Would you hide uh, aquamarine ease in your home like they used to do during the uh, slavery days or maybe um, the Jews are not, not in Germany or I don't know would you do because I mean, who knows? Do you feel like you have the stomach for it, to take somebody in that maybe you didn't agree with? I hate to say this, I really, really, really hate to say this, but sometimes it is really dependent on what you have to lose. So as a mom, if somehow that threatened my kids or my family, for me to stand up for the underdog and hide them in my home or, you know, whatever, give them a chance to say what they want to say in my basement, then I would be really hesitant to do that. If it were just me, flying solo, you know, devil may care, I would like to think that I would, but you have different connections and different values and different relationships that you have to protect, and you can't really separate yourself from that. And I admire the people, like, during the Holocaust that were strong enough to do that because they did put everything on the line, and those folks had families, and they had businesses, and they had the potential of losing everything, and they still did what they knew was would be the right thing. So I have utmost respect for folks that can do that. I would like to think that I would be that if it came down to it. Again, to view the opposition as dangerous is to misunderstand the basic concepts of democracy. To oppress the opposition is to assault the very foundation of democracy. Yeah, there's always going to be multiple points of view. Hence opposition. Disagreement because of multiple points of view. However, yeah. to, what was the, the phrase, to demonize them or? To oppress. To oppress, yes. This, I believe, goes against the grain of the intentions of the Founding Fathers who gave us freedom of speech so that we have the ability to criticize the government and each other. People in other countries do not have the same luxury to disagree with the government or disagree with other people. They fear for what they have to say in public. So here in the States, one of the most obvious examples of this in recent years has been the political use of the IRS to shut down dialogue by people with opposing points of view in the Tea Party. And this is a very sad thing because it does not respect the fact that people may genuinely believe that they have a valid point of view, while the, the IRS tended to view it as anyone who disagrees with us is wrong and therefore must be silenced. Right. And that does not lead to constructive 
progress moving forward in a bipartisan fashion. So for folks listening who either don't get balanced news sources, so to speak, or don't pay attention, which incident are you referring to about the Tea Party and the IRS? A Democratic senator suggested that prior to the 2012 campaign, the IRS should try to suppress as much of the PACs and advocacy groups that were supported by the Tea Party. So any group that filed for a tax-exempt status that had the word patriot or Tea Party or any other keywords that they felt pigeonholed them as someone that would support the Republicans, the IRS was instructed to tie these people up and harass them and prevent them from getting... Tie them up with paperwork. With paperwork, yes. To prevent them from getting their status while they expedited the same approval for groups that supported the left. What the left has failed to appreciate is that by putting the IRS, enabling it to be used as a political tool of the governing party, as well as the Department of Justice, then when the shoe is on the other foot and another party is in power, then some of their advocacy groups may be shut down. Some of their opposition, which they may genuinely believe to be true, will not be given a forum to be heard because they will be repressed. The precedent has been set. Yes, they have set the precedent and what has been sown will eventually be reaped. I would say that to any persuasion, any, because yeah. say you're in a religious group and you're trying to use the government to shut someone that offends you or whatever down, mm-hmm. or uh, say you you are on the conservative side and you want the left to be shut down and use sneaky ways to do it, eventually it'll blow back on you. Once you open that can of worms, it's difficult to put it back in the can. Again, to view the opposition as dangerous is to misunderstand the basic concepts of democracy. To oppress the opposition is to assault the very foundation of democracy. I would agree with that, especially today where we have this very polarized political climate where the Democrats will say, oh, the Republicans are evil or stupid or uneducated or sexist bigots, all the words. And then the Republicans will say about the Democrats, oh, you know, they're bleeding heart liberals who are trying to destroy the country. And I, I think that you can have intelligent people on both sides who have a thoughtful position about what they're doing. It's important to understand why people think the way they do. Now, there are plenty of people who don't think about it. They've heard that their their father, their neighbor, their someone at their church thinks a certain way and oh yeah that's the right way Mm -hmm. and so that's what they're going to repeat without really having any kind of justification and and if someone hasn't thought about their position there's really going to be no way to persuade them out of that Mm -hmm. position so i wish that more people thought about their position about why they believe the way they do Mm -hmm. and some of the things that are going on right now with this whole donald trump thing Mm -hmm. and keep Muslims out of the country, I think is absurd. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's next? We'll round up all the Muslims and put them in concentration camps, Mm -hmm. or next we're going to keep out anyone who's not a real American? I don't even know how to argue against that. It's it's such a strange thing. Um, I understand that people can be afraid, and they're looking for someone to 
tell them, I will do things so that you don't have to be afraid mm-hmm. anymore. And in some ways, I, I can sympathize with that. There's validity to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are people who believe in authority figures. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know everything that the police do here in Tennessee, but I trust that uh, if they're on my street and they're holding up lights and saying, you can't turn this way, that there's a good reason for that. <laughs> And so sometimes, yeah, I will just accept what the authority figures are saying. Okay, I'm not going to turn left here. I'm going to turn right because they must know what they're doing. But that's getting a little bit away from from, from what you were saying. Well, let me ask you this. Even when I've seen friends cut other friends off, you know, I can see why they morally justified it. Because I feel like we all look back, especially Nazi Germany, and we, you know, nobody wants to support a Nazi. No one wants to help those guys get in power again. And that we tend to call anybody we disagree with a Nazi, and obviously it's a bit of an insult to, uh, especially the Jews in the Holocaust. But uh, as much as it's used, but do you ever? And your friends, I know, with a ton of, of diverse people from all walks of life and all political stripes. Have you ever had a friend you're like, man, I don't know, whose views are so uh, maybe destructive or repugnant or whatever that you wrestle with? Can I be this guy's friend anymore? Absolutely. And what you're talking about with the Nazis, there is a thing called Godwin's Law that says the, and it was said in a discussion on the internet saying that the longer a particular argument goes on, the more likely that eventually someone's going to be calling the other party a Nazi yeah. or Hitler. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the certainty, you know, yeah. draws to one. Yeah. They say it's when you've lost the argument, you start calling names. Right. Anyway. It goes to the ad hominem yeah. and, and the logical fallacies. Right. And, I think a lot of people today also don't really understand what Nazi means. Mm-hmm. They don't understand what the Holocaust means. People mm-hmm. talk about how the Jews were killed, mm-hmm. but there were many other people oh, than sure. the Jews that were killed. Yeah. I have had people say things that I found completely repugnant, racist things, mm-hmm. like, I don't want blacks in this house, or blacks, they just smell funny. Oh, wow. And when I first heard it from them, I was stunned, and I wasn't sure if I should argue against it at that spot or let it go say okay this is one comment i'm not going to make a big deal about one comment Uh, also being aware that i was a guest in someone's home also realizing that if i argued with that one comment you know was i going to get thrown out or is it also like uh dropping a penny in the ocean because this was so widespread and i think they knew when they said it the way i reacted so that when they did say it again, they did bring up, they said, oh, I know Ilanka doesn't like it when I say that. Um, and that kind of felt good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sometimes just less is more, mm-hmm. and expression can, yeah. be, can be good. If, if it would have gotten really out of hand, I, I, I would have argued against mm-hmm. it. And especially when there are kids around, yeah. I think. Because the children do look to the adults for clues on how to behave, on what to believe. Did you think to yourself, if I don't cut this person off and don't shun him, there is a possibility I can change him? So you're asking if I don't cut him off, I might be able to yeah. change him? Yeah, exactly. Like, um, you're weighing your options. You think, like, I shouldn't be friends with this guy. He's bad news. Or I think... If I stay their friend in spite of the fact that I disagree and I could possibly sway him to you know, not be racist anymore or at least to see a different point of view. A, a similar situation came up with, there's this thing called Gamergate that, that's going on oh, yeah. where 
uh, I was chatting with a friend of a friend and the topic of Gamergate came up. And, and for those of your listeners who don't know, this is a, a whole a very misogynist thing that's going around on the internet. When this individual found out that I was a woman in the game industry, mm-hmm. which is what th- this is all about, and he's like, oh, you probably hate me. You probably <laughs> want me to leave the room. And I was looking at him and saying, no, I, I don't hate you. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to leave the room, but I am interested in what you think. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, all women in Gamergate think blah, 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 blah. And I said, no, that's where the problem is. Right. When you start thinking all of villain category, yeah. believe a certain way, then it's very difficult to have a discussion. I said, let's not talk about all the women out there or all the men or all the Gamergate supporters. Let's, this is you and me. I know what I think. I care what you as an individual think. Let's have a conversation. So in terms of racism or bigotry, if I were to have that longer discussion with someone, that's the way I would approach it, saying, that's an in this viewpoint of yours. Where did you get it from? Why do you believe this? Mm. If I were to go into it thing, I'm going to persuade them out of it, I think that's even too strong because that's assuming he's wrong, I'm right, and I have to change his mm. view to my view. Maybe he has reasons for what he believes. Maybe he came from an environment where... Anybody walking down the street, if there was a black, they were going to get attacked. Mm-hmm. And and so he has valid reason for saying, I don't want to be around a black. Mm-hmm. Because when you're around a black, you're going to get mugged. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying that's the right way to think. But if that's the kind of behavior that he's used to, I'd say, hey, how about you and I, We go. let's go two blocks away. Mm-hmm. Let's go over here where you see all these different races walking and nobody's getting attacked. Yeah. And, and that's also something that's done with underserved neighborhoods and children that are having trouble breaking out of poverty is the advice often to these kids is let's go two blocks away mm-hmm. let's go two blocks away where you can see different people and, and i'm not talking about different race or different mm-hmm. economic levels sure. where if you get education you get a proper job look these people are, are living an entirely different way. Mm-hmm. So it's it's changing someone's viewpoint by showing them th- that there's alternate views out there. And last quote. Saints are the sinners who go on trying. So free men are the oppressed who go on trying and who in the process make themselves fit to bear the responsibilities and to uphold the disciplines which will maintain a free society. So this brings to mind the idea of discipline when it comes to creativity. Uh, For instance, when I was vegan, uh, every meal I prepared was artful. I put so much into it. It was like taking that infinite scale and putting it down on the infinitesimal. Because you go in and you've got these boundaries and you think it's going to be a small space. You think you're oppressed. You think you're not free, but it's you're free to make anything of that. There's infinite space in your mind. Being locked in a small space allows you to then go into this world where there are so many different combinations that you never would have even considered because you were looking at these large variables before, you know, like, can I walk wherever I want right now? Probably not, but... If I choose this path and really pay attention to everything along it, I will be experiencing, for all intents and purposes, an infinite world. Because there is no end to where I can look in this direction and what I can do with it. In any direction we go, 
the possibilities are infinite. It sounds to me like you're saying like we or many people are born with a bit of a prison-like mindset. I really think that we are. Why do you think mm. that? Well, let's go with that Okay, first. well, I think that a lot of it is fitting into the bounds of the societal structure, which is quite artificial. It is recognizing people for conformity instead of individuality when really we all have different roles that we are well-built to perform. And when we ignore that, we are, you know, a drag on progress for one thing. And for another, none of us really enjoy it, you know? We have these things that light us up that we feel boundless about, but sometimes we feel like we're not allowed to approach that. And so we'll throw ourselves into, say, computer coding, which is another, you know, infinite option. Wherever you turn, you can certainly extrapolate that into any expression that you want. I mean, I can express myself in a poem or a painting or a dish or a conversation any way I choose. Once I open that door, there's a whole world beyond it. I mean, it's always just the door in your mind that needs to be opened because it's how you look at something and what you do with it. There's always going to be a wall. Let's talk about politics a little bit. Mm -hmm. Both sides are terribly guilty of this, of, you know, individuality. They they say on, on paper that that's good. But when it gets down to it, it's a disruption. It's, it's, right. it's you can't control right. people completely that are individuals, and that again, both in a right wing and a left wing way, they they both want control. They want order. We'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, uh, mm-hmm. or they don't want chaos. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I love organization. Um, I have observed in my life that chaos tends to bring itself back to a natural order. Um, what may appear to be chaotic at this point, you know, may very well fall right into place. As far as people wanting to control other people, I really, that just seems to me like they're having trouble controlling themselves and they're afraid of what other people are going to do because they're afraid of what they might do. Well, we both know people. I think we have mutual friends that think the public, by and large, is stupid. Yeah, and they need to elitist friends. Yeah, yeah. and I, I love them. Yeah. And I think I, I probably have been that person mm. when I was younger. Oh, I definitely came from that way. I was super poor, but I was super intellectual, and at that point hadn't done many drugs or explored the world very much, and I had a very rigid viewpoint. Mm. Mm. And they think, uh, or when we used to think, that, that people just need to be herded around for their own good. Mm. I feel that people need to be educated and invited. Mm. I mean, when we talk about politics, specifically right-wing policy, it's purported to be based on family values and all these beautiful phrases, Mm. you know, that all of us can get behind. But when these policies are put into practice, as they were by the governors of Kansas and Louisiana, we can see that the social effect actually tears down families. You know, and, and it closes schools early because they're not well-funded enough and all this money is cha- channeled back, you know, to the friends of those on high in this world. And it just doesn't seem in practice like it goes along with what they're saying that they support. The same thing with liberals. You know, I feel that liberal and conservative are two very important values. You know, right brain and left brain are mm-hmm. two very important values. And... I've seen before, yes, remember the right wing and the left wing belong to the same bird. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that 
we need to honor all these parts. There's no need for homogenization. All these different values have important functions and it's okay to hold two seemingly oppositional values at the same time. This paradox keeps us balanced. And the winning spot is that common ground, which so many of us agree. The vast majority of us agree on these major issues. It's just how to get there. And that's where we need to go back to the proof instead of this trumped up rhetoric. I feel like that's really where self-discipline comes along, is being disciplined enough to not just talk big and boastful and fancy to get your way, but to actually follow the course step by step of doing what you say. And I think a lot of times we get caught up in the short term and don't do that. Again, saints are the sinners who go on trying. So free men are the oppressed who go on trying and who in the process make themselves fit to bear the responsibilities and to uphold the disciplines which will maintain a free society. That's, 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 uh, and the first word that popped into my mind was Jesus. Uh You know, he was the spirit and he, he went on to do good, but yet look where we are today. And, and again, that's where I think my cynicism rises up in that I'm saying, you know, if there is a God, he's had 2000 years with us as human beings. And hasn't he seen that it didn't work? You know, turn it back to the animals or nature, and 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 when is this Messiah going to come back and say, "Okay, I've seen enough of this. <laughs> I'm back. The rules change." Maybe think of two questions. One, do you think we should destroy it then? Like it's no hope. I think something has to happen to change what's going on. I mean, as recently as today, where the, these crazy guys went into that French newspaper and killed twelve people. I mean, it's every day mm-hmm. now. You know, it's almost as bad as the hijacking was, you know, the copycat people or whatever. And we, we keep, and again, this is the news media sensationalizing what we didn't know about until we had computers, you know, until we read it in the newspaper a few days later. And now we have this instant access to drama and, you know, and CNN, we're here live. And I said, you know, maybe ignorance was bliss. Because now the crazies also have access to this, and the springs go boing. And I, this is something I debate with myself. Looking historically, I, you know, sometimes I wonder, well, did things really change? Or maybe they did get better, but we just don't see it because we've lived in the context of post his presence. I mean, what do you th- I mean, are you a student of history? Not really. Okay. I mean, I let history be there. I mean, I had to take it, you know, when I was in school and stuff, but I tend to be more in what's happening now and hopefully knowing what I know now to somehow for a few people make a better future out of it. I, and probably the other thing is having lived in an atheistic society in, in Asia, and I don't necessarily relate it to just Christianity in particular because you know, love your neighbors yourself is is a Jewish idea also, and a Buddhist as well. But when you see the absence of it, where it's just it's not a prevailing, even though in our culture, maybe people are doing it just because they get ahead, or is it's socially acceptable to be kind to others? You know, there's a, a stark difference. Like it, everything just falls apart every day. You lived in other countries. Mm-hmm. 
was there a different value system that you think might have been had less of a maybe Judeo-Christian influence than we have here? Well, when I lived in South America, it was mainly a Catholic oh, okay. influence. So, right, so the that, church yeah. was pretty powerful right. down there. And even when I was in Europe, there was still the Christian mm. ideals. And uh, I mean, that's why I say I've almost you know, fallen away from my Jewish background. I mean, people say, well, there is a tradition still. You don't have to believe in God you don't have to go to the synagogue. And yet, there's a part of me that says, well, you know, if we were brainwashed all these <laughs> years with, you know, we were created in God's image, I said, what happened? Right. You know, if, if, and, and, and the other thing that, that I go back to in part of my sense, I said, you know, we the Jews were the chosen people. And then I say, chosen for what? I mean, he, he put us in the land of milk and honey and then surrounded us with all our enemies? Yeah. You know, I think I think God ought to move Israel to Manhattan or something, <laughs> I think it's and let already. the enemies be there. Yeah. Let them have their oil and stuff. Uh -huh. But I mean, and when and you look at things, you'll see things come on the computer. What Jews have done all these generations? I mean, the scientific advances mm -hmm. and and it's just Jewish, 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 Jewish. And you know, you say, well, are all these other people jealous of? these brilliant minds or whatever, but or that we took the land that was a desert and made it mm -hmm. this great land. Yeah, I don't think there's, get, you can't get around it. That's where a lot of prejudice comes from, don't you think? It's, it's one group getting jealous of another. Oh, sure. Again, saints are the sinners who go on trying. So free men are the oppressed who go on trying, and who in the process make themselves fit to bear the responsibilities and to uphold the disciplines which will maintain a free society. The first thing I was going to hit at that I kept getting stuck on uh -huh. is that, um, you know, there's a, a big southern saying that you'll find in the church a lot that, uh, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, uh -huh. but, you know, when you're truly dead to yourself, you're no longer a sinner, you're a saint. You know, there's not a saint that is a sinner, but there's saints that choose to sin because everybody's still imperfect. Right. Um, when it comes to the the ideals that, you know, if you're going to put together a society, there's going to be shortcomings, but there's natural shortcomings in every aspect of human life. No matter how perfect or idealistic you try to make something, just through the corruption of human nature and the human heart, it's always, there's always going to be, you know, greed and envy. I feel like the the, the, the speaker is, is uh, maybe defending against the cheap shots that, let's say, a, a non-religious person would take at religious people, uh, but also uh, usually the far left takes against uh, democracies or a free market, that type of thing. Uh, you know, there's there, there are definitely cheap shots. You know, there's a big disconnect there, too, where if you are of a more conservative mindset and a more conservative nature, whether you be religious or not, you open yourself up as being, um, whether it be justified through society's basis or not, closed-minded and walled off and against progress and, you know, have, or maybe having a different idea of what progress is versus uh, what our culture has led to be the status quo. But at the same time, you know, if it is, a, if you are of a religious nature, you come to understand pretty quickly, um, especially when you were opposed to that for so long, whether or not you even knew it, that you can't hold people to the same standard 
as you hold yourself. You, you can't expect somebody that is against religion, either actively or inactively, to adhere to the same values that you do. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be, uh, you know, the Bible actually, it lays out certain areas where people are to judge other people, but it's only believers to judge believers using the Bible as a reference. You're not to judge against yourself, you're against, you know, to judge against the Bible. Um, and that's just to, you know, hold each other up, lift each other up, hold each other accountable to make sure that you are being a great representation of Christ like you're supposed to be. And, it, you know, and it also goes very in to say that uh, believers should not hold other believers to those same standards. You know, we're not to judge them. Again, saints are the sinners who go on trying. So free men are the oppressed who go on trying and who in the process make themselves fit to bear the responsibilities and to uphold the disciplines which will maintain a free society. You know, a saint is someone that technically has been released from their sin or is seen holy in despite of their sin. So if you look at it from a spiritual point of view, you know, then technically there's no such thing as a saint other than from a Christianity point of view than Christ. But, um, you know, if you're looking at it from a Catholicism point of view... Saints are simply people that had marks upon the world with the deeds that they did, you know, through that um, through that medieval period. Mm-hmm. But if you want to look at it from a modern point of view, that's harder because it's like, okay, where does that sit as far as, does that just count for like a Steve Jobs who changed the world? You know, is mm-hmm. he a saint? I don't know. So it's, it's so subjective. I don't know how to respond to it. That's probably, that to me dives into religious issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, there's there's political takes on where you could you could bring that as far as our freedoms and. and well, let's talk about that. What are, what's a daily fight for freedom that you feel in your own life? Sadly, it's against the government mm-hmm. um, because the government has too much power now, mm-hmm. and our freedoms are quickly diminishing. And it means something different than it did twenty, thirty years ago. Even I, I would say that government tends to justify all the encroaching. Right. Can you ever see their point of view? Like, okay, I, I get why they're doing that. Some things, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can. Currently, I have zero respect for the for the current administration. But, you know... Because? Because of their lack of leadership, their lack of moral guidance, the decisions they've made f- from a progressive point of view that is, is inevitably... Heading to socialism. Um, But they would say that's their morality. That's their morality, I know. So, again, that's subjective. It's so, my answer isn't even my answer. It's like, where do I take it? So, yeah, and maybe even some people call Obama a saint. So it's just, it's so subjective on that one. So Mm -hmm. I don't know how to answer it other than me speaking out my brain on on where I sit, obviously, Mm -hmm. politically with some of that stuff. And there's some things that... I might hold too liberally that some ultra conservative thinks that I'm crazy, right. you know. So, I, I think all in all, if it, you know, this is going more political than even where this was probably supposed to go. But I think truly that the the left wing and the right wing need each other in order to balance the equation, just like a marriage. You know, mm-hmm. my wife and I are complete opposites, but we need each other because we allow each other to see certain aspects that we're not willing to see sometimes, and even I'm not willing to see with maybe even our current administration, 
But the truth is we need each other, but there has to be at least a cohesive forward movement in preserving what has made this country what it has become until recently. Mm-hmm. I think it's changing, not for the good. Mm-hmm. And what has made, you know, and again, this is my opinion, mm-hmm. but as what made this country such a great country is the very foundational constitutional things put in place for us to be able to to respect that and, and enjoy those freedoms and to have the First and Second Amendment, which are hinged upon all the other right. amendments. I think you take away the First and the Second, others, all the others are going to obliterate. So anyway, I just think that the progressive movement to socialism, which turns into Marxism and mm-hmm. turns into dictatorship, it's going to remove all that. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's, from just a practical point of view, it's removing the very things that has made our country great. Yeah. And we're just following the trends of... You look back over the years of hundreds of years, every country has been through the same thing, and they're kind of sitting on the shores and laughing at us Mm -hmm. to where I see blogs and and even videos being made of them looking at us and saying, oh, they're going to be like us pretty soon, and they're (laughs) heading in that direction, and they see that. It's like we don't see that as as an economy, as a culture. It's just like... You're saying they've seen the end of the road already. Yeah. And we're the youngest country in the world, and so... It's like we're just catching up. Catching up to misery. It is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like we've been built on the concept of the pursuit of happiness, and we've forgotten the pursuit part. Now it's just we have the freedom to be happy, mm-hmm. and we're all trying to go for that. And I'm sorry, but it was built on the fact that you need to go out there and earn it. And now everybody and their millennialists think that they're entitled, and everybody's trying to get a piece of, you know, how it's going today. source of the quotes? They were all by Burmese Nobel Peace Prize winner Aung San Suu Kyi. And to give us a little more information on Aung San Suu Kyi is occasional Back by the Woodpile contributor April Tinsley. She was born Da Aung Suu Kyi in uh, June of 1945 in Rangoon, Burma. Now, we should go back and mention that her father had been assassinated by another political party her father had formed a coalition political group that was made up of communists, uh, socialists, and uh, one of his allies, who was also vying to become the president or prime minister, had him assassinated. And that guy himself was executed, I think, within the year. So that, that's kind of the family she was born into, all to say. Yes, she was, and she was very young when this happened. Um, I believe she was two years old. Um, but also her mother was uh, a Burmese diplomat in India. So her family was very political. She um, had moved to England to study, and while she was there, she met a man, uh, Michael Aris, and not long after, they were married and had two boys. However, in 1998, she left her family in England um, to return to Burma to care for her dying mother. While she was there, following an event that resulted in a mass slaughter of government protesters, Suchi ended up leading a nonviolent movement to bring democracy and human rights to her native country. They actually placed her under house arrest because of the freedom fighting, you know, leading the movement for democracy okay. and human rights. When did she become leader of this? Because before she was a mother and a wife in England, you know what, all it took was, I mean, her going home to care for her mother and this event 
the uprising that resulted in such tragic results was enough to put the fire under her and ignite her passion for democracy and for, for human rights. And she just kind of um, evolved into taking this this on. Now, did she form a political party or did she join one that already existed? She joined the National League for Democracy. And mind you, she's never, ever been convicted of anything. Right. She was just imprisoned in her own house. Yes. In 1989, she was offered her freedom under the condition that she immediately leave Myanmar. However, she refused. Um, she did attempt a negotiation with the return of a civilian government and the release of all political prisoners. If they would agree to that, she would return to England to be with her family. But she really had no leverage, so no deal was made. She remained captive. And I, I think while she was under house arrest, her husband developed cancer. Again, I think the government of Burma offers that, hey, you can go back to be with your husband. But she was pretty sure they weren't going to let her come back in. So he ended up dying while she was still stuck in Burma. That's incredible. And that's how dedicated she was to her people. And I've heard Western reporters ask about what it was like to be you know, stuck in a house for 20 or 30 years and couldn't come outside. And uh, she was very gracious about it and said, well, it was a whole lot better than being in prison and you know, being tortured, which a lot of other people, both in Burma and other countries that were, you know, political prisoners were going through. 20 years after being initially placed on house arrest in 2009, nearing the end of her sentence, um, Suchi was arrested on charges of violating house arrest. This is a result of an American tourist, John Yetau. He swam a mile across a lake at night to break into her house to, quote, pray with Suchi. Um, she denied the charges. She stated that she only gave the stranger temporary shelter. She was convicted three months later, um, which extended her house arrest by 18 months. However, pretty much everyone knew that this was a way of preventing her as a pro-democracy leader from participating in the first multi-party elections since 1990. Um, they were slated to take place the following year. The following spring ushered in new election laws. One such law was that any individual who had ever been convicted of a crime, which she now had been because someone broke into her house and she was convicted, and or any individual who had ever been married to a foreigner was now barred from participating in elections. And it almost sounds like this law was written specifically for her. Right. Like it said in parentheses, we're looking at you, Aung San Suu Kyi. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, her party, the NLD, actually ended up, they refused to re-register under the new laws. Um, it was required for them to register. They refused to do it. And so they were disbanded. Um, and considering all of that, it was really it's no surprise that on November 7th, 2010, the de facto incumbent won by a landslide. Not long after... The actual elections, she was released after 21 years, and since then, the NLD has reformed. Earlier this year, the end of last year, they actually won the elections, and the president-elect has created a, a cabinet position for Aung San Suu Kyi. There was this little band from Ireland that wrote a song about her while she was under house arrest. Yeah, yeah, it's a band called U2. I've heard of them. <laughs> the song, Walk On, 
off the album, All That You Can't Leave Behind, was written about and San Suu Kyi and dedicated to her. It was released as a single November 19, 2001. In March of 2000, U2 and their manager Paul McGinnis were awarded the Freedom of the City of Dublin. It's an award which acknowledges the contributions groups or individuals make to the life of the city, and it bestows honor to important visitors to Dublin as honorary citizens. On this day in March of 2000, uh, Suu Kyi was also given the award. As she was under house arrest at that time, the award was accepted by her son. In 2009, I remember being at the show in Atlanta, the 360 tour, when they played the song, Walk On, um, it was really a tribute to um, Ensign Suchi. They had people come out on the stage, just locals from whatever city they were playing in. Um, they'd come out on the stage, they all had masks in, in the likeness of Ensign Suchi. Um, it was really moving. I don't know how to describe, I don't know what it was about it. And as a last tidbit of information, the U2 album, All That You Can't Leave Behind, was acknowledged by the Burmese military junta by being banned. In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at spuncounterguy. And if you'd like to see a list of former episodes of In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile, go to spuncounterguy.com and click on the pictures of piles of wood with chairs in front. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Woodpile on the iTunes store, and we should pop up. And a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com. Oh,